Thank you so much for having me today. It's great to be preaching in person. Um, preaching on Zoom is weird, and um, I would be quite thankful never to have to do that again, please. Jesus, if you listen. Um, so I run the Mental Health Friendly Church Project for Kintugi Hope, um, as I said. And I always think one of the... There are two things about my job that people kind of tend to get a little bit confused with. Um, the first is the fact that um, I work for an organisation called Kintsugi, and everyone's like, Kin what? Um, and the second is that... My job title. But the Kintsugi is... Sorry, my sermon has um, just disappeared off my iPad. Could someone just grab my phone from my handbag and then I can preach from there instead? Because I downloaded it and now it is not there. Thank you very much. I hate technology with, with quite a passion. Um, but I also know that if I printed out lots of pages, I'd probably lose them. So, you know. I'm going to read the passage that I'm going to preach from whilst this all sorts itself out. I'm going to read from Mark 2. Um, and it's the story of the paralysed man lowered through the roof. So Mark 2, starting from verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralysed man carried by the four of them. Since they could not get him um, to Jesus to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. It's a funny passage, isn't it? And it's funny because I think we, we can tend to lose the weirdness that some men dug through somebody's roof. This wasn't just, you know, you know, just lifting some bits of cardboard away. They literally dug through a roof. And that's what I'm going to be talking about this morning. Going through the roof, going through the extra, the stuff, so that we can get to Jesus. Because Jesus is always with us, even when it feels like there is a roof to get through. These people are so desperate to get their friend before Jesus. I wonder if any of you have ever felt like that. If ever, any of you have been praying so hard that you can get somebody to Jesus. And it just feels like there are mountains in your way. I know I have felt that. And I also know that my friends and family have felt that on my behalf. This morning, <clears throat> I'm going to talk about how facing up to mental illness within our communities can be done with compassion, with persistence, but above all, with hope. We aren't told a great deal about this man, either in Mark's Gospel or in Luke's Gospel, where it's also recorded. 
We aren't told about this man, who he was, who his friends were, only that he was paralysed and his friends seemed to carry him around on a mat. I have lived with mental illness since I was 14. I spent my teens trying to work out why I was crying all the time. I, I sometimes wondered if it was something wrong with my tear ducts, if that was a thing. Turns out it wasn't. Um, but I, I didn't understand where God was in the midst of it. I developed an eating disorder and I, I self-harmed because I was trying to work out how on earth I could get the pain inside out. It was one of the darkest times of my life. And I remember very clearly feeling quite a lot of affinity with this man on a stretcher between being carried by his friends. Not because I couldn't walk, because I, I could, but because I didn't know how to get myself to Jesus. It felt utterly impossible. And actually, the people who have made the greatest difference in my life and my journey and my illness are the ones who, like this man's friends, have together carried me to, to Jesus. They didn't do the healing. They understood that actually they, they couldn't carry me on their own. But they understood that it was only at the foot of Jesus that things could be different. And they played different roles in my life. Um, my parents, um, doctors, um, psychologists, teachers, friends, the minister of my church, um, the, the chaplain of my high school. And they taught me one of the most important lessons I have ever learned about pastoral care. And that is a, that it is a team sport. We can't do pastoral care in isolation. It's too big a job. We have this funny idea, don't we, that actually in churches, the pastoral care is the job of the minister or the vicar. But that's not true. They might, you know, be called the pastor. Pastoral care involves all of us. It is a team sport. We don't know how long um, this man was paralysed for, and we don't know how often it was that his friends carried him around on a stretcher. But we do know that they were moved with compassion. And they showed him the greatest compassion, because... I can't imagine it was a particularly pleasant job carrying somebody around in the heat of Jerusalem. The heart of the word compassion is to suffer with. And if we're going to face up to mental health issues in our community, we're going to have to go through the roof with compassion. Because compassion reaches into somebody's pain and it sticks around even when the going gets tough. The good news, as I said, is that this isn't something that one person has to carry. 
This is everyone. And when it comes to, to mental and emotional health, actually, it's not just the job of the church either. We need desperately to be engaging on a community level. For some people, um, mental health issues will be really well managed with friendship. Others will need to see a GP regularly. Still others will need to see um, a whole team of mental health professionals. Providing pastoral care as the church is one part of the puzzle. We don't, it's not the church's job to fix people. It's the church's job to make sure people can get to Jesus. My high school chaplain, actually, um, who I was chatting to the other day, um, was great because he told me many a time that he wasn't there to fix me. He couldn't fix me. He didn't even pretend. What his job was, and actually what, what all of our jobs, if when we believe in Jesus is to point other people to Jesus. To invite the Spirit of God to lead us to a place where we can meet with Jesus. And we don't need a qualification for that. We don't need to have gone to Bible college. We don't need to have done degrees. We don't need anything except to have invited Jesus into our hearts. I read... And, and that is going to look different. The way we help and care and support and love is going to look different for every person that we care and support and at different times in our lives. Sometimes we're going to be able to offer loads of practical support and prayer support. Others, actually, we're just going to have to let other people help us. I recently had a time when I was quite unwell again and actually what helped was people helping to take care of my child and bringing some food round and also this bit I haven't experienced before but I got a lot of bunches of flowers which I really appreciated because you know what when someone breaks a leg quite often you get flowers don't you but it is less often seen when somebody's struggling with their mental health I mean, it doesn't say anything in the Bible about giving people flowers <clears throat> when they're struggling, but I, maybe take that forward. I quite like it. <laughs> the friends of the paralysed man knew what their job was. And that was why they were bringing him before Jesus. It's Jesus in whom we find our hope and healing. And it might look like a miracle, like it did for this man. But it might look like that long road of medication and counsel, of doctors and nurses and, and community support. I read somewhere recently that um, for some people, the miracle is in the healing. For other people, the miracle is walking through hell and getting to the other side. Knowing you're loved, even when the fix doesn't come. For our part, caring is going to look different, isn't it? It might be organising a meal rota. Churches are really good at meal rotas. 
And I feel like we can also, on a side note, I personally think that lasagna has replaced quiche as the food of the church. <laughs> I've been thinking about this for quite a long time, and I'm, I'm almost convinced of it. Um, but, you know... When somebody's living with mental illness, it's not necessarily that the church can provide every meal for them for the rest of their lives, as nice as that might be. But it might be that if you know there's a family struggling, you have a monthly meal rotor, where just once or twice a month, they know that that's something they don't have to worry about. This is, this is ministry for the long haul. We're so good in a crisis, but actually, mental illness is often a long haul. And if we're going to be there and be present and be able to care, we need to pace ourselves. Sometimes, caring with compassion can feel like we're pushed to our limits. And I know that those people who have, who have cared for me have felt like that sometimes. But it can also look like taking a break and making, passing the baton on to another member of the team so that we can take care of ourselves and be ready to, to pick up the relay for the next bit. The reason we can do this is because it's not us who does the fixing. It's not us who does the healing. It's Jesus. The second way through the roof is with persistence. The passage we read told us that um, it was because of the crowd around Jesus that the man's friends decided to lower him through the tiles. And I don't know about you, but I think that is pretty persistent. There are many things I, I think I might imagine when I want to get somebody, you know, through to Jesus. I don't think digging through a roof would have been the top of my list of solutions, perhaps. And in Luke's gospel, actually, the tiles that are mentioned made for a pretty solid roof. This wasn't kind of MDF that they were kind of lifting up. The word tiling refers to the hard, crusty mud that they had to dig through. It would have been difficult and hot work in the heat of the day. Not to mention the fact that they were risking the wrath of the person that, you know, they were digging through their roof. Some people have even suggested that it was Jesus' roof that they dug through. And Jesus' first reaction is not, what on earth have you done to my house? Which I think might have been closer to my reaction. It's to meet them where they were. These men were persistent with their desire to see their friend healed. And mental illness demands persistence, friends. It might be persistence with getting the right treatment, perhaps fighting the stigma that comes along with it, perhaps just persistence to be present in someone's pain day in, day out. And it's a hard road, isn't it? I've had the privilege of walking alongside friends with their own mental illnesses in mentoring young people lost within its clutches. It's hard and sometimes it really, really hurts. Being persistent in compassion is powerful. Being con persistent in compassion is powerful. But being persistent in compassion with hope is life-changing. 
when we're in a caring role, sometimes we have to hold other people's hope for them before they can take it back for themselves. And it's what these friends did. They held hope for their friend, perhaps before he, he was able to. And I love these words by Mark Iaconelli. Um, he's talking specifically here about youth ministry, but actually I think it re- applies to all ministry. It's about holding a young person's deepest identity until he or she is able to see it too. We hold on to the knowledge that these young people are the beloved of God, that they have gifts that enrich the world and that their presence is a cause for celebration. We hold on to the understanding of young people until they can hold it on for themselves. We seek to reveal their beauty back to them until they can see it, until they believe it, until they can live it from the groundedness of God's love. This is what we need to do for one another. This is what we can do for one another because it's not our limited love that we're holding. It's the unquenchable, unstoppable, raising from the, death, from the dead kind of love that Jesus brings. I think these men carried the hope and love of Jesus for their friend before he was able to do it for himself. And it's interesting to me that in verse 20, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, He said, friend, your sins are forgiven. It wasn't the faith of the man on the mat that healed him. It was the faith of his friends. And sometimes the person on the mat, metaphorically, will need our faith and our hope to sustain them. And sometimes the people around, the people carrying, will need those who are praying around them to sustain faith. Faith is not something we have to carry alone. It's why we're given the body of Christ. It's why we're given the church, so that we can shoulder one, another, one another's burdens and carry one another's hope until we're each able to hope for ourselves. This is the family of God. God works through families. They just don't necessarily look how they expect them to. I once heard somebody say that churches full of people um, brought together when in normal life they'd probably never even meet. The family of God is, is, I mean, let's face it, sometimes it's a bit weird. Sometimes it's hard work. But it's also the place where God works. God works through his family. Psalm um, 68 paints this beautiful picture of our God who sets the lonely in families. He says, a father of the fatherless and a defender of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God sets the lonely in families. I don't know what your family looks like. But I do know that God gives us one another family. He gives us family within his church. Actually, none of us get to choose our families, do we? But God has chosen 
the families that we find ourselves in in church. It's not a perfect family. None is. But it's the family of God that show the love of God to one another when the going gets tough. And whether you're struggling under the weight of caring this morning or trying desperately to hold on to your own hope, I invite you to take comfort in this. God does not leave us to work in the mess and muddle of this life alone. He sets us in families of friends, of family, of, of our biological family, of our, you know, the people we live with, of our adopted families. He sets us in families of friends. And he himself brings healing and forgiveness and hope. We don't need to pretend we have it all together. When Jesus proclaims his forgiveness over the paralysed man, tells him to pick up his mat and go home, much to the consternation of the Pharisees around him, Jesus doesn't just give back the man the use of his legs. He gives him back a position in his community. The belief at the time that sometimes still lingers today is that if somebody had such a visual struggle, it was because of their own personal sin. They would have been an outcast. Sometimes those of us who live with mental illness can feel like that, can't we? But when Jesus heals this man, he doesn't just give him back the use of his legs, he gives him back a community. Stigma can add unmeasured pain into the exhaustion of mental illness. But mental illness isn't the lack of faith or because of some unconfessed sin. We probably all have unconfessed sin, let's face it. But there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. We don't need to strive to beat death, to break the hold of sin alone, to fight to belong in God's family because we already belong. It's already done, dealt with on the cross of Christ. God is setting the lonely in families. His love breaks through the roof of stigma with the greatest compassion, the greatest care. All we have to do is be open to welcome one another. And that welcome might be about offering to organise that monthly meal rota with lasagna. It might be running like something like a Kintsugi Hope Wellbeing Group. It might be getting some parents to pray for one another as you navigate um, teenagers or toddler years, which is what I am in the midst of at the moment. It might be getting some input from other organisations to, to help and equip you. But above all this morning, I hope you know you leave this place knowing that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God.
There is nothing, there is no roof, there is no barrier that can keep you away from the love of God. Romans talks about it, doesn't it? There is nothing, not life, not death, nor angels, nor demons, nor anything that can separate us from the love of God. Mental illness cannot separate us from the love of God. Stigma cannot separate us from the love of God. And we all have a role to play in this wonderfully weird family of God we find ourselves in. We don't do it alone. We don't do it apart from the compassion of God who sent his son to walk through human life, face human death. We don't do it apart from the persistent love of God who digs through whatever keeps us from him. Who runs towards his prodigal son and daughters. And the hope of God, which promises that one day there will be no more mourning, no more tears, no more death. And who promises never to leave us or forsake us until we are called home. Amen. I'm going to pray for us. Father God, we thank you for this place. We thank you for the people of Eve Church. We thank you for their faithfulness and for their love for, for one another and for the community. And Father God, we ask for a fresh outpouring of your love, of your patience, of your energy and your compassion for themselves and for one another. And we ask for a reminder for each person here, God, of their belovedness and their identity as your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen.